Here's what's coming up on today's show. Diversification says to spread it out amongst different things. Asset allocation is the actual percentages of the different things that you've put in. When it comes to your finances, you don't want to be at a disadvantage. Tim Dyer can help. He's a wealth manager specializing in retirement planning and investment management, and he could be that financial coach that helps you achieve your goals in retirement. This is Retirement Power Play. Hello and welcome into re- the Retirement Power Play. I'm Ben George. He's Tim Dyer over at Dyer Wealth Management. Got a good show for you today. We're clearing up some financial jargon. Tim, are you a guy that, that uses a lot of jargon? You don't strike me as a guy that throws around a lot of that from time to time. Yeah, I do my best to avoid it. Yeah. It's it's pretty common in the financial in- industry, and it can kind of make your head spin if you're not uh, if you're not sure what's going on. And I think right now with with the way the market's been going and just kind of everything is is kind of going haywire. It feels like right now there's a lot of jargon. It seems like it ramps up. Is more volatile as things get. I think it feels like the jargon gets ramped up. So we're going to try to clear up some of that today on the podcast and go through five or six terms that you probably heard quite a bit, and hopefully you're familiar with them, but if not, try to clear them up a little bit for you so you understand what's being said and, and how it applies to you. So that'll be the plan today ben, on we the should podcast. Have, we, sh- we should have a, a button, you know, like uh, Jim Cramer does on Mad Money, you know, <laughs> with the different sounds. And every time you say jargon, because you said a couple of them there in that uh, in that yeah. opening intro, and it's like, yep, just hit the button, jargon. You know, there yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah, we'll be hitting that button a lot probably, right? <laughs> Along the way, but I think it's good to clear up some of these things for people. So, what's going on, Tim? How's everything out in your world? Things couldn't be better. Things couldn't be better. We're uh, chugging along. The market's certainly giving people uh, some things to think about here, but you know, we'll talk about that in a little bit more details. But the weather's getting good. I know we're here in San Diego, and that's kind of a given, but yeah, um, moving on. Good. And I know we uh, we added the, the website retirementpowerplay.com. So, if you haven't checked that out, make sure you do. That'll be kind of the hub for the podcast there. And Easy way to get in touch with Tim through the website there. But if you want to jot down this number as well, do so. 858-459-3937, the best way to get in touch with uh, Dire Wealth Management. All right, Tim. Yeah, I'll add one thing there, too. It's it's hard to imagine, but somebody actually had uh, retirement power play. So we just added the... the, the creative podcast to the end of that. So it's retirementpowerplaypodcast.com. Nice. So what were they using it for? Did they, did they, were they using know. it? Or they just we'll have to track them down and uh, <laughs> overwhelm them with jargon and see if they'll just capitulate and give it back. Yeah, hopefully so. Well, cool. Well, that's good to know. And I know that uh, anybody checking us out, you'll want to find that there. We have a lot of good episodes already in the tank. And so make sure you go back and, and listen to the getting to know you want to launch things off and then our past episodes. But please hit subscribe to subscribe to the show. Make sure you don't miss out on a single episode as we move forward here on the Retirement Power Play. All right, retirement uh, jargon, financial jargon, things you're going to hear when you're either watching, as you mentioned, Jim Cramer, Mad Money, or, or whatever you're you're paying attention to. You're going to hear these terms quite a bit. And let's start off with the market, Tim, because it's, it's, uh, it's one that's up and down quite a bit recently. We hear this term bear and bull market all the time. And, and I don't know if we're technically... I don't know which one we're technically in right now. So maybe you can kind of clear up what these mean and kind of how we know where we're at. Yeah, well, this one's kind of interesting because we're, we're, we're starting to see a shift from one to the other. Now, let me just simplify this. A bull market is defined as a up or rising market, and a bear market is a declining market. Um, now, the industry has sort of set these lines of demarcation, and they're somewhat arbitrary. I mean, there's no rule or law around it. But Typically, a bear market is defined as a market drop of 20%, and that's from the most recent high, 
Okay. okay. So hypothetically, if the market was up 10% for the year and it, it dropped 20% from there, the market would only be down 10% for the year, but it would actually be down 20% from its high. So we would, um, you know, mathematically be in what is defined as a bear market. Okay. Now, you know, you can look back at some of the things online of where this came from. Bear market, it, it came, you know, as a, a bear kind of swipes down at its opponent and a bull kind of puts its head down and, and rears its neck up. Okay. And that's where the down versus up, you know, came. And, you know, I'll just add this. You can say we're in an up market, but there's not a lot of context around it. For example, the market could be up a couple hundred points if we're looking at the Dow Jones Industrial Average in a day. And is that a lot or a little? You know, on a daily basis, you know, it's, that's a lot. But on, the, on a longer-term trend, it's so, somewhat insignificant. So when we define things as bull or bear market, it gives a little bit of context about, you know, how much up or how much down something has moved. Um, everything else is sort of in the middle, if that makes sense. Well, when I hear that as just a, an investor, what does that mean to me, though? Does it, it shouldn't change the way I approach things, right? Or does it? Well, what happens, you know, typically when, when we enter into a bear market, and, you know, I, I started in the industry in 1998, and in my entire career, I've been through six bear markets. Uh, two of those have been declines of over 50%. And this is ba that's based off the S&P, not the Dow, which I mentioned before. But... Mm -hmm. And we're using a little index jargon here. Um, but, it, you know, for those, um, it, it took them four years to recover, okay? Um, for the other, for those two that declined 50%, it took four years to recover. For the other four that I went through, it was a matter of months. So here we are in 2022, and we're kind of brushing up on a bear market, which depending on which index you're looking at, the tech stocks, which are in the NASDAQ, are already in a bear market. Um, the S&P is pretty close. I think it's down about 17% as we record this. Um, but there's some concern because it creates um, uncertainty in people's mind is, is this going to get worse? And is it going to take a long time to recover? And so those are some of the things that are on people's minds. So in some cases, well, actually, in most cases, revisiting the plan, making sure the investments are aligned with both short and long-term objectives is really going to be paramount on on how to navigate through this you know bear market environment. Well, I know when you're looking at the portfolio, the word that's probably going to come up quite a bit, at least as I'm paying attention to what people are saying right now, diversification. Do you have proper diversification right now? So I, as people start to think about this a little bit more and more, maybe pay closer attention to what they're actually invested in, how are you defining diversification? Well, diversification I would, design, I would de define, if you will, as simply just not having all your eggs in one basket, right? If you think of a, a pane of glass, if it's just one sheet of glass and a baseball were to go through it, you'd have to replace that entire pane, okay? If, if you put in the, um, you know, the, the lines in it, whatever we call those, I guess that's window jargon. Um, you know, if, if a baseball went through them, just one of those small square panes would be broken and need to be replaced. And again, that reverts back to the, uh, the notion you don't have all your eggs in one basket. So that's what diversification is. Sometimes that gets mixed up with the term asset allocation. Asset allocation is just referring to how, you know, which different eggs you're using, right? So stocks, bonds, mutual funds, cash, commodities, those types of things. Those are assets. 
and how you've allocated towards it or what percentages you've allocated, if you will, to each, that's the definition of asset allocation. So diversification says to spread it out amongst different things. Asset allocation is the actual percentages of the different things that you've put them in, your investments in. That got you. I'm going to hop around a little bit on the list that I've uh, provided you because these kind of flow together. But let's jump into volatility because it kind of ties into the market and being diversified. Um, I, the, the the nature of the market is it goes up and down. I mean that that's everyone's understanding. We know that if you're in the market at all, you see the ups, you see the downs. When does it? When does the word volatility kick in? Because it feels like the market is just volatile, volatile by nature. But when actually we start using this word and apply it to what's happening? Well, there's always an element of volatility to all investments. Okay, now in the current environment we're in, the volatility has picked up. Now, I am, I'm going to add something to this here, Ben, and, and it's the concept of risk. Okay, so okay. volatility, by definition, it's a statistical measure of the uh, quote-unquote dispersion of returns for a given security. Think of it like the bell curve we learned in, in Economics 101. Right down the middle of that bell curve is the, the, the median. So the volatility is sort of measuring through a calculation called standard deviation – you know, how far off from the middle a security's price is moving. Now, going back to how does this affect you, see, the way Wall Street or the investment community, there's a little jargon for you, the the way uh, the investment professionals um, define risk is volatility, right? This investment has more, quote-unquote, turbulence than this investment, right? Stocks go up and down, historically more than the average bond goes up and down. But for people, for clients, what risk means to them is declines and and permanent loss. So when things get volatile, they're going up and down at a faster rate and a and a a larger amount. Clients fear that those swings are going to become long-term permanent losses, which can certainly derail any plan. So you know, I use the analogy, if you're on an airplane and you get a little bit of turbulence, it's uncomfortable. If you get a lot of turbulence, you know, in the back of your mind, you're saying, geez, I just want to rip that door open and get off this thing, get off this ride. But you know that that's certain fate. Um, and so investing is no different. You know, if we get off when at times get real tough and things get real volatile, then certainly it can have a certain fate that is not optimal. Yeah, that's the truth. All right, let's talk risk then a little bit more since you, you mentioned it. And risk tolerance is the the jargon that I want to shift to right now. I guess when, when we're in a market like this, risk tolerance really becomes evident. But talk about how this applies to, to someone and how they build their, their investment strategy. Yeah. Well, Ben, you say it becomes evident, but risk tolerance becomes a, a chameleon. It changes. <laughs> because <laughs> when markets are good, people think, okay, I can withstand uh, this type of risk, and it, it, it's really just numbers on a paper, right? Oh, if the, my account went up or down by this, I'd be okay with that. But then when it happens, it's different because the way the brain works, um, it reacts differently to loss or fear than it does to, you know, gain or pleasure, if you will. And so I think to just to kind of elaborate on that a little bit, Everybody has a calculate, you know, they, they can calculate what their risk tolerance is, right? How much they're willing to let their portfolio go down in 
the efforts to make higher returns on the up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean clients have to take the maximum risk that they withstand. So you have a certain risk tolerance that they can withstand, and then they have a certain risk tolerance that they you know, want to take or desire, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes the risk that they need to take it may actually be higher than what they're willing to take because that you know they might not have accumulated enough and they might need to for example have more growth from their investments and yet they want something that has no volatility or no risk right yeah. so there's that trade off there and in other cases people you know have the ab- willingness or ability to take more risk but you know they have enough saved and there really isn't any need to kind of push the envelope it's not uh he with the most at the end wins it's you know, he who sleeps the best at night wins, I would argue. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. All right. So that's risk tolerance. Um, let's go capital gains and losses. Um, this is one that, that we've heard about, I think, recently with the talk of taxes and taxing capital gains. But um, how do you how do you kind of break this one down for someone? So capital gains is really the if you think about it, it's the profit and losses that are experienced from an investment asset. If you put $10,000 in investments and it went up 20%, you'd now have $12,000 in value, $2,000 of which would be capital gains. Now, if we dig in on that a little further, there's two kinds of capital gains. There's realized and there's unrealized. So if you haven't sold that investment and it has that $2,000 gain, you have an unrealized capital gain of $2,000. If you do sell that investment, then you have a realized gain, uh, capital gain of $2,000. And the same, you know, it's the same for losses as well. It's essentially either a paper gain or loss, or it's an actual realized gain or loss. And it matters because uh, a lot of times, well, I see this in, in, in two ways. One, when you have a realized capital gain or loss, that's a taxable event, okay. right? It's either adding... Uh, to your you know taxable amount, and it's taxed differently than income. We'll talk about that another time. But but the other thing is, when, a lot of times when people look at their statements that are issued by the custodians, custodian is just jargon for where your money's held, Schwab or Fidelity or E Trade or TD Ameritrade. Those are examples of custodians. Um, but when you look at statements, a lot of times they just show you know the current holdings or positions that clients have, and it shows the the gain or loss on them. But that isn't necessarily what they've realized in gain or losses over the year. So maybe let's just say you had, for example, two investments. One investment was down and one investment was up. Maybe you, you made a transaction that sold the one that was up, realizing a capital gain, and the only position left in your account is one that is down because you're you know, waiting maybe for it to go back up in price or whatnot. Um, so you would look at your statement and it would show, you know, you've got a loss in the account and yet the gain from the other investment might offset that. So anyways, a little bit into the weeds there on, on capital gains and losses, but it's important to know that those are taxed differently than income. And, uh, that could all change with legislation. Time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell, but, uh, make sure you talk with your advisor to stay updated on what's happening there. All right. One more, I want to throw your way. I hear the word fiduciary quite a bit. I'm sure people that are looking to work with an advisor and just kind of searching around on their options that are out there probably come across this word a time or two. So 
What exactly is a fiduciary? Yeah, this is a, this is a good one. I think it's um, certainly a mis- misunderstood. Uh, you'll see a lot of advisors uh, that our fiduciaries are, which we are here as well, but you know, they're actively promoting the fact that they're a fiduciary. Let me give you the definition. I mean, um, and, and I'll also give our, our listeners a little tip here. If, if you ever go uh, or, you, or you hear a word that you're not familiar with, go to investopedia.com. It's a great resource. Uh, uh-huh. You can put in any word that's sort of investment related and it'll give you a, an easy to understand definition. But their definition of a fiduciary is a person or organization that acts on behalf of another person, putting their client's interests ahead of their own with a duty to preserve good faith and trust. So there's the sort of you know, textbook definition. But here's the thing. It's, what, what matters is a fiduciary is really required legally and ethically to act in their client's best interest. Now, I've been in this, the investment business for over two decades, and I wasn't always a fiduciary. I worked for a, a large investment firm in the beginning part of my career. But just because you, I wasn't a fiduciary doesn't necessarily mean you know, that you wake up in the morning trying to figure out how you can harm clients. Um, <laughs> I, I think sort of everybody by default is uh, acting in goodwill. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. It sort of separates the engagement that you have with clients. So people that are fiduciaries, you think they're really sitting on the same side of the table of, as you. They're looking out at options and solutions and strategies and things like that to meet your goals and needs. In, in almost all the cases, the uh, as a fiduciary, the product or the solution is derived from the client need, not vice versa. And so on the opposite side of a, of a fiduciary, you might have a salesperson or a stockbroker or insurance salesman or something like that. And a lot of times those people have products um, that they have and they're out trying to find people who that might make sense for. And that's sort of the old, when you're a hammer, everybody looks like a nail. Mm-hmm. So, you know, working with a fiduciary is just kind of an added layer of, you know, I would say uh, comfort knowing that you, you have somebody that's legally obligated to put your best interest forward. But I would, I would just be careful, as I mentioned before, in that, you know, if, if somebody's main value proposition is that if you're talking with an advisor that, that they're a fiduciary – uh, and that they don't screw over their clients. I mean, that sort of should be obvious table stakes. Sometimes you got to look a little bit more too into their expertise and what they're good at. All right. Good breakdown. All right. And, and good breakdown all around with this financial jargon. And these are just some of the terms. And we, we threw out some, as you mentioned, that uh, aren't on this list. We used a few along the way. But again, these are just some key words that you might be hearing a lot, little bit more now than, than normal. And hopefully this clears up some things. But again, if you have questions for Tim, you can always reach out to him directly if you want to see if you're diversified, if you want to understand about your risk tolerance a little bit more, maybe understand if we're, whether or not we're in a bear bull market, what that means mm-hmm. to your portfolio, you can always call them at 858-459-3937. Tim, I got a question for you that came in that I want to throw Mm. your way. You down for it? Let's do it. All right. Came in from Mark. Kind of plays into what we're talking about a little bit today, but I feel like I need to reduce the risk in my portfolio, but I don't know where to turn. I've looked at bonds. I've looked at annuities and I've looked at just moving to cash, but all those options have drawbacks that I don't like. So what am I supposed to do? Well, that's a good question. And uh, I would start off by saying is sort of... understanding the rules of the game, as I call it, right? So I'm somebody that likes to visually see, maybe in a, a graph or chart form, I think the the caller question was on um, 
They'd mentioned annuities. They'd mentioned uh, stocks, bonds, cash, that type of thing. Yep. So I would look at that as column one, right? The type of investment. And then I would column two, what are the pros? Column three, what are the, what are the cons? And then, you know, circling back with somebody that's got some experience in this to kind of not only clarify where those goalposts are, meaning the pros and cons, um, or the range of outcomes that could happen with each, but then, you know, how it might figure in to that uh, client's particular situation. And it's, that, it's really getting that second set of eyes that has the biggest impact, more so than the, than the actual specific investment. That has a smaller, uh, I think it has a smaller impact than people think, as opposed to you know, understanding what is going to be right for the client uh, to help them meet that specific objective. All right. Great question, Mark. We appreciate you sending in to us. If you have one for us, you can always reach out. DyerWM.com is the website. You can also call Tim if you have questions for him directly at 858-459-3937. All right, let's close it out, Tim. This episode of the Retirement Power Play in the books. And we also want to encourage people to subscribe to the show as well. We've got new episodes every couple of weeks. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you again soon, Tim. Looking forward to it. The commentary on this podcast reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analyses of Sage Capital Advisors, LLC, DBA Dire Wealth Management employees making such comment and should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Dire Wealth Management or performance returns of any Dire Wealth Management Investments client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referred for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Dire Wealth Management provides advisory services through Sage Capital Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Dire Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Dire Wealth Management unless a client service agreement is in place.